What's going on, everyone? This is Joe from More Beer. Welcome to the More Beer Podcast. This is where we'll be sharing everything that we've got brewing at More Beer. We'll be talking all things beer and home brewing, talking about new products, and we've got some amazing guests lined up as well. So make sure to subscribe to the More Beer Podcast wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss out. On this episode, our very own Vito DeLucci sits down with Lester and Magic of Bear Bottle Brewing in San Francisco to talk about their GABF gold medal winning Mexican lager, Torcido, which is now available as a recipe kit on more beer. They discuss tips for brewing Mexican lagers and also talk about the homebrewing ethos at the heart of Bear Bottle, including why they put all their beer recipes on their cans. They also talk about where the beer industry might be heading next. This is part one of an awesome conversation, and if you love beer and brewing, you're gonna love this. If you want to watch the full video version of this conversation, it's up on the More Beer YouTube channel right now, but make sure to subscribe here for more podcasts. Enjoy. Cheers. Hey everyone, it's Vito from More Beer, and on this episode of The Mashup, we're in San Francisco, California at Bear Bottle Brewing, and we're sitting with Lester and Magic, and we're gonna talk Mexican lagers and a bunch of other stuff. Thanks guys for having us. Um, Love you guys, love everything you do. Uh, Beer, wine, kombucha, coffee, um, tell us a soda little bit well. soda yeah. as well. I mean, you guys, uh, you, you do everything like more beer, more beer, more flavors. So we buy so much for more. Thank beer. you. Yeah. You guys have what we need. So stoked to be here. <laughs> tell us, tell us a little bit about Bear Bottle. Uh, you know, yep. the, from the roots, the how I met you guys is the home brewing tie-in. You guys yep. are you put the recipe on the can. I love it. Tell tell us all about that. Yeah. So you know, starting Bear Bottle back in 2016. So we're like five years old now. Um, and it all started from homebrewing roots. You know, we're all the founders, myself, Mike, and Ben, we're all kind of homebrew buddies back from school and kind of got deeper in the rabbit hole, like as, as everyone kind of eventually does on the beer side, the homebrew side, is you start entering competitions. And you're like, well, what happens in competitions? Well, let me just figure out how to be a judge. And you become a judge. Uh, and then you really start, like, heading down that rabbit hole, you know? And, like, once you're down that rabbit hole, you realize, like, there's all these other like pathways and doors and exciting things that happen in beer, and you just kind of get so engulfed by it that you're just like, ah, like I want to make this a career, you know? Uh, so we kind of started kicking around business plans and ideas, and then you know had enough traction there, started to raise money from friends and family, and then we just figured, you know, if we're not going to do this now in our life, life's only going to get more complicated. You know, you're only going to get more indebted to, like, the objects in your life. So, like, if you don't do it now, then we may never do it. And that, like, element of regret was something that none of us wanted to kind of live the rest of our lives with. So, kind of jumped in. Um, You know, a lot of the beers that we started with were homebrew recipes of ours. You know, but also, like, kind of carrying through what, uh, kind of what homebrewing has meant to us. Uh, You know, that idea of putting the label, the recipe, you know, the full recipe on the side of the cans or the bottles, you know, just the name Bear Bottle is an homage to homebrewing. You know, you you remember, we all remember, right? It's like uh, before before cans were everywhere, right? Bottles were everywhere. Like that's how we like packaged our beer if it wasn't on draft in our house. And like you never wanted to, to show up at a party or going to a friend's house, you know, and all of like your hard effort beer is in like a Bud Light bottle you know like nobody wanted that you know so we always look for bare empty bottles these blank bottles Um, yeah so like Sierra Nevada was great like they were always like bare empty bottles but 
The so, bear bottle, that's the vessel for yep. your creation. So I love and that. And also yeah. like doing a lot of you know homebrew competitions. So we yeah. always we kinda did more in the beginning, then it's gotten more and more complicated, but we always try to do at least one or two a year. And that's how I met you guys yep. was with the homebrew competition. Yep. Um, and then brewing here and, and that was great. I love that you guys do that. You actually have a homebrew club that, that used to meet here or they still oh, do. Oh, they still do. Yeah, San yep. Francisco Brew Homebrewers Guild, right? Yeah, I'm a, I've I've a I'm a lifetime member. I have yep. a lifetime membership card. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, John, tell us a little bit about your your brewing history, how you came came here, and um, all that. So, I'm actually from Los Angeles, and uh, after college, did mechanical engineering, did that for a few years, and just you know, was a young kid with way too much time to burn. Um, but started getting into. I always like things that tasted better. I remember in college, always having a fridge full of Guinness, actually. And, you know, graduating, finding stone, like I remember my first Arrogant Bastard, and making a trip down to San Diego. It, was, it wasn't beer related, but on the way back we stopped at Stone, and was blown away by that massive beautiful garden they have there, and the tap room. And the fake frogs house. And the fake frogs <laughs> house in the parking lot. But sitting down at the bar, and the bar manager, you know, I thought I knew everything about IPAs, and he's like, you ever have a Saison? I'm like, what's that? And he pours me a DuPont. And I was like... Oh, that's a good first was, uh, season yeah, half. That blew my mind. Yeah. And from that point forward, I was just always searching for cool, better beers. And in Los Angeles at the time, breweries weren't necessarily that uh, abundant as they are what is, now. What is at the time? Yeah, give us what a little time 2010, 2011, okay. I think, around there. Just when the beer scene just started beer, to... Yeah. I mean, Eagle Rock Brewery was like the only thing around in L.A. proper. Orange County had its whole thing, so I would make plenty of drives down there. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, going back to San Diego, Pizza Port, uh, <clears throat> Los Abbey, yeah. Port. Um, those were the breweries that, like, I was drinking a ton of and, like, loved the bitter IPAs. But I, I never even thought about making it until I was at a friend's house. And on my way out, he was like, oh, yeah, you like beer. And he gave me a six-pack. He was like, I made these. I was like, what? You can, you can make, make this? this? Yeah. <laughs> it never crossed my mind. Um, went home that day and just... You know, did a bunch of research, bought a homebrew kit, and it was for an Oktoberfest, which looking back now, it was an ale yeast. I remember that specifically. <laughs> um, the beer was okay, it was fine, did the whole thing, right? Um, and then just kind of kept doing it, went down a rabbit hole until the first beer that I made. It was a Kolsch, and I remember making it because the recipe was easy and I forgot about it in my garage. And then when I came back to it, like five weeks later, I was like, oops, I guess I should still bottle this. And it was fantastic. And that just took me down this rabbit hole of learning and trying to do this. You guys put the the recipe on the beer can, which I love, and, and not just the recipe, but a five gallon batch. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. perfect for home brewers. Uh, tell us why you do that. Because a lot of people, you know, I don't want to share my recipe, but you, you guys are obviously sharing every recipe, and I love that. Tell us why you do that, and you know. Yeah, I mean, that. I think it's it's several fold. You know, one goes back to the homebrewing ethos, right? Of we're home brewers and. We want to be able to grow the pie, right? So, like, our number one thing, and, I mean, even when we get emails about it now, it's just, it's so, like, heartening to see somebody, like, I drank this beer, I love it, I want to brew it myself. Like, if you're getting more homebrewers to brew beer, like, I think as, a, as an industry we're winning, you know, because then they're going to really understand, you know, how flavors and beers are derived and what they can do, and it just kind of opens the door to, you know, greater beer appreciation. So... You know, the vision was like, hey, like let's just put it on on the label because one, like when we first started making beer, like we get a lot of people emailing us, calling us, saying, hey, 
we love this beer. We're trying to make it. Like, can you give us some tips on, you know, how to make it? And we would just literally, like, take a picture of the recipe sheet or take a picture of the brew log and just send it to them. And, you know, we're like, well, why don't we just take that and just formalize it and put it on the label uh, so that way, like, if they want to make it, like, they have all the information there. Um, it's that, but it's also, like, even if you're not a home brewer, you know, you really want to, I feel like, to get greater beer appreciation, if you're able to empower your palate, empower your mind on what flavors you like, because we throw all these, all these, like, hop names and all these malts around, right? Viking Pilsner, you know, uh, name your hop Galaxy or Strata or whatever, but you don't, like, maybe you don't know. Like, every every beer has a hop combination. And you're like, well, I don't know if what I'm tasting is Strata. Is it Mosaic? Is it the Citra? Um, but if you're able to, like, give everybody the laundry list of everything in here, you know, they can drink it and they can see, like, oh, like, everything that I have that has the Strata hop in there, I really enjoy. And so now, like, how much more in power they are when they go anywhere. They walk into you know, another brewery or a bar or a restaurant and say, oh, I love the Citra Hop. I love Galaxy Hops. I love Strata Hops. And, like, that, you know, on the serving side for us is so much easier when we have some information on what people's tastes are like. Help educate the And public. to be able to, like, give them what they like, you know? Yeah. So it's, a, it's an educational component as well. That makes sense. And I'm glad you mentioned the, the association of building that because, like, uh, you know, going through um, you know, BGCB and, and learning off flavors, right? It's all about association, yeah. and and you, you douse that beer with Dassel or whatever it is, and then you start to learn yeah, at a high levels, and then you tailor it back, and that's how you learn that association of that. So uh, that makes total sense to me mm -hmm. of like learning what Citra tastes like. Okay, I like Citra, yeah, things like that. So that, that makes total sense. Um, the other thing I love that you said, and I think it's great, and it, what is so unique to me about the brewing industry is and you know sharing right and, and what other industry do you you see that sharing and collaboration like you know breweries go and do collaborations together restaurants don't do that you know no one does that you know and i just love that that sharing and like hey here's how i made this you know being able to do that so that's, that's, that's i think right. one of the biggest i think the biggest unique sellers of this industry is like I, i'm 100 percent in agreement with you like there are very few industries where you can jump on a message board you know, which we have, you know, in the Bay Area for all the brewers, and they say, hey, like, my yeast crapped out, or I, I thought I had this malt, but I don't. Can someone please spare, like, X amount of bags of this? And, like, <laughs> within minutes, mm -hmm. right? They're like, hey, like, I'm in Pacifica, or I'm in, you know, Monterey, but you're in the city, like, I can drive it to you, or I got somebody in the area, you want to pick it up, or whatever. And, like, that, to me, is, like, I think why this industry attracts so many people from other kind of walks of life is because there is that sense of community you know mm -hmm. yes. i mean yeah. you know we make coffee we make wine and there is not that community in those other beverages in the bay area like mm -hmm. it is very very unique you know to beer and i feel like a lot of it maybe stems from you know the home brewing ethos right it's like when you homebrew it's like hey like i'd rather not be by myself in my garage making this i'd rather have some friends brew with me yeah. and then everyone comes together and it's like this you know this like communal meal where everyone gets to like share in the making and share in the end product and I feel like that kind of carries its way through the, the professional side of the industry and you know, I hope that's the major element that like, we never lose in this industry that's awesome yeah thank you guys for uh, for sharing your recipes with the public that's awesome I love I love everything you guys do 
We spent a lot of time on <laughs> scaling it down, going back and forth, making label changes. <clears throat> I answered an email this morning <laughs> about it. It's, but you know, it's kind of what we do. You know, at Bear Bottle is, yeah. you know, we're constantly. We don't do just a single model of this is the IPA that we make. This is our flagship. Like we have no flagship. Uh, we love the idea of experimenting and changing and making new beers and new recipes and new ideas, new techniques. You know, because as, as Magic mentioned, like, that's how we grow. Like, that's how we get better. And if we're not, like, constantly, like, pushing, 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 trying, 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 failing every now and then, um, then we're not moving forward fast enough. I'm glad you mentioned flagships. Uh, let's talk about that for a second. Um, you know, in the last couple of years, you, you've heard the term flagships are dead, right? And, and it's always been, like, what have you done for me lately? I think the public's like, new, 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 new. But I feel like it's starting to come back around to a flagship. What do you guys, what's your take on that? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I don't think that's true necessarily for IPAs. Mm -hmm. I still think the people who are drinking the kinds of IPAs we're making are very adventurous, and mm -hmm. they're always looking for new hops, new flavors. Even if they new just beer want, to check in on yeah, that. even if it's just for that. <laughs> However, for lagers, I do think there is something to that. Where if you think about the breweries that are becoming very popular for making even craft lagers, that they it's because they're making that one lager and they're making it really well. One or two, and then when they release another one, it's like, oh man, look at that thing. Um, we make, we treat our lagers like we do our IPA, so we're always constantly making new things, and I don't think the Bay Area knows that we make as many, and I think the quality lagers that we are making, partially because we're just doing this rotation thing, um, which is cool. I, I'm fine with that. Like We get to drink cool new lagers all the time, um, but I do think that maybe in flagships and those non-IPA brands are I, I can see where people want to go back to those. That's a good point. Like I feel like because I mean as you mentioned earlier like there's so much evolution happening in especially like IPAs right because IPAs are really like that is the driving style of the craft beer industry right. Mm -hmm. There's so much evolution that's happening with the hops you know with the enzymes with the techniques that it's almost like it's evolving so fast that if you were just like, I'm only gonna drink this one IPA when I go to a bar and nothing else, like you were getting left behind in terms of like what is happening. And I think that's what's exciting for a consumer is like you're able to like see like in real time, you know, the evolution of IPA, like as you talked about, like there's so much changing right now. Mm -hmm. And like we're in this like really weird kind of moment of time where it's just like this explosion of like technique change. And like I don't think we've seen like this much change happening. You know, the last couple of years and for the next two years moving forward than we have seen in the last decade. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's why it's exciting for the consumer to walk in and, and be in that <clears throat> rotational mindset of, like, let me try something new because they're all so, so different and you're able to see the differences. I think that's the key is if you're able to see and taste the difference, then you're able to then, like, appreciate, like, oh, like, maybe I shouldn't just drink this because there's so many things I haven't even experienced yet. And I won't experience until I try the new. And I feel like that whole like, experiential mindset, especially on IPAs, as you mentioned, like that's you know that's going to be a huge driving force of craft beer for the next next decade. Yep. Yeah, it's exciting. So let's dive into um, the, the beer that we're going to talk about, Torcido, the Mexican lager. Um, so let's start with what makes uh, a Mexican lager a uh, Mexican lager. Why, how is it different than a Vienna <coughs> or a German Pilsner? Um, tell me a little bit about that. So. It's funny because when researching to make this beer in particular, I actually bought as many lager books as I could. And the Mexican lager section is always about a paragraph 
that gets summed down to Mexican loggers exist. Um, they don't go deep into the history of where, how loggers were even brought to Mexico. There was an Austrian emperor named Maximilian I, and he was an um, emperor of Mexico for a while. Oh, wow. And he came and brought a ton of Austrian and German beers, and that didn't last very long, but <clears throat> the beer stayed. And who doesn't want a crispy German lager, you know, in the heat of Mexico in that weather? But what you get is very, very soft water in Mexico, so you get these really pretty soft beers. Um, bitterness isn't really a showcase, and I do think people associate corn as part of one of the ingredients in Mexican lagers, and yeah, we use corn in this beer, especially to lighten up the body. But it's really a very well-crafted, but you're not skimping on ingredients, uh, beer, lager, that is just extremely dry and crispy to drink. So the idea for Torcido as a beer in general uh, came from us having just started our lager program and we were making a bunch of beautiful pilsners and German pilsners, uh, Munich pilsners, just like bitter, crisp, super flavorful, hoppy beers. And while they were really good, sometimes at the end of the day after a, a long shift, you kind of just want something that you don't even have to think about. And so we were also making a Kolsch at the time and it was getting really complicated in our schedule to keep multiple uh, yeast strains alive. So the idea is like, why don't we make a lighter style lager? But I didn't want to make an American Pilsner, so decided to make a Mexican Pilsner. Um, one of the beers we had at the time was a parallel Pilsner. We also had perpendicular Pilsner, which was a dark lager. So I thought, all right, this is going to be a twist off of those. It's neither really. It's kind of diagonal, but or twisted. It's And torcido means twisted in Spanish. So gotcha, we named the beer okay. torcido to kind of play off of it's not either of those two beers. It's something in between. Uh, okay, that makes sense. Uh, so you won a GABF medal with that. Um, what was that like? Tell us about you know that you were there for for it. I was not there. Ah, okay. Uh, we I went the year before, and uh, Kelsey, one of our other co-members here, she went. Um, but I was watching it live on TV. It was like a Saturday at 10 a.m. And I remember the category coming up. And it was like, bronze went by, silver went by, and I was like, okay, I almost got up to like go get something to drink. And then the name came up, and I just couldn't believe it. Uh, it was super incredible, just awesome. Not because it was just this beer in general, but it's, you know, I've been to GABF so many times, and to be able to win an award there, um, it's just really validating that we're doing something cool here at the brewery. Yeah, no, it's amazing. It's a huge honor. Um, I think I was cutting the grass at the time. Were you cutting the grass? You weren't there either. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations on that. Uh, let's talk about Viking Malt because I know Viking Malt was the base malt for that, um, and, and and you know you guys won the award with it. We, we we'll, we'll dig into the the, the Viking uh, <laughs> the helmet. helmet and all that kind of stuff here in a minute. Um, but yeah, I think uh, talk to us about you know using using Viking Malt. Um, when I started to work with more beer, we were just getting ready to bring that malt in. Um, and then our relationship, I think we, you know, we did a pilot batch, a homebrew batch, um, which I think we, our video is still on our Instagram of us mashing in with that one, which is a cool one. Go check that out. What did we brew um, with that first pilot That was batch? the cookie malt. malt. That was the cookie malt. Oh, Remember that? Right. The yeah, cookie yeah, malt. Yeah. Uh, what do we call that beer? I forget. Something cookie monster. I don't yeah, know. something yeah. like that. It was fun, yeah. Uh, milk and cookies. Milk and cookies. That yeah. was it, yeah. Uh, but yeah, talk to us a little bit about Viking malt, um, using that um, before we dig into the ingredients of, of right. Torcido. So, well... They kind of go hand in hand. So Torcido, I wanted to make it a nice crispy beard, you know, twisted off of their uh, our other beers. And I, my first malt choice was a Bohemian floor malted Pilsner. Mm. Way too much character. It was like a nice, pretty, 
beer really toasty, and I was like, nah, this is this is not what we need. We need something cleaner. Um, and then you had mentioned that you were bringing a Pilsner malt, and I remember you bringing a sample, and I was like, this is crispy. It's, you know, there's it's like a very crackery without a ton of flavor. Uh, not to say that it's bad, it's just it's very clean and straightforward. Blank, yeah. It's a very good blank canvas. So we made the beer with that, and uh, it was incredible. It was extremely light. Um, we ended up adding a bag of Cara Hell because it helped just to help bolster the body and sweetness and just to give it a little bit of something um, that just 100% Viking Pills would be almost too clean of a beer. Uh, not that we haven't done that, but just this beer needed a little bit more and, uh, of course, some corn. So did you guys brew Torcida before the Viking Malt? I know the Viking Malt yes. is the one that won the, the, the gold at GABF. I think that was our third batch, maybe, of the Torcida. Gotcha. Second or okay. third batch. Um, so, so yes. So you'd say Viking Malt is what won the, the gold medal. <laughs> Viking Malt was definitely the right malt for this beer. Yeah. Or the Viking Pilsner. It's yeah. A, I don't even think the extra pale pills from Wireman is, that's almost too light. Wireman has character and it's, you know, we play a lot around with different Pilsner malts just mm -hmm. trying to find out, just trying to learn what's cool, what's out there. Um, but, you know, sometimes you hit like the nail on the head and it's like that malt is a perfect applica application for this. That's awesome. Congrats again on the GABF um, medal. Uh, yeah, so we started using, you guys started using the Viking malt. You guys are actually what inspired us to, to start the, the Viking, uh, the, the Hall of, of, of Fame Viking malt uh, program. So we guys gave you guys a, the Viking helmet and some other good stuff. Um, I don't know if we inspired you guys so much as, you know, we're just like, hey, man, you know, had we used somebody else's malt, we yeah. get these kind of gifts. You the, know, what's I, going on with you guys? And, and I'll say it, uh, we, you know, the red overalls, yeah. yeah. That was kind of, like, which I would, you know, as a brewer too, I thought that was like really cool to have some type of competition. You win with this malt, you, mm -hmm. you get some. So to, to, you know, to work together on that and to launch that program together, I think was pretty cool. Yep. Um, and it was special. I great, love working with you guys and, and doing that was amazing. So congrats on being the first uh, first Vikings in the Viking Hall of Fame. Yeah. Hopefully we'll get a couple yeah. more. Exactly. Yeah. Once you did that, we made the the more beer kit, and um, that's just been great. It's you know people love that recipe. The the reviews on it have been amazing. Thanks awesome. again for sharing that. I know you share all your recipes, but but sharing that one with us. Um, just wanted to thank you guys and and I uh, love that Torcido kit. Yeah. Uh, let's jump into the recipe now. Like, uh, let's talk about uh, the ingredients, the yeast, um, all that. I know we, we have the kit, but yeah, let's uh, tell everybody about uh, the ingredients of that. So the, the recipe is pretty simple and straightforward. As we've mentioned before, it's the base malt is Viking Pilsner, and then a little bit of Carahel, I think it's like 2%, um, and also flaked corn somewhere between, I think it's just right around 10%. Uh, flaked corn. Flaked corn has been an interesting one because it definitely, if not used properly, if not fully converted or mashed to its entirety, it will provide more body than you actually want. It does the opposite of you making it dry, is what we've learned recently. <clears throat> so we've, uh, we've messed around with using enzymes to try to get it even drier and um, seems to work and the beer is as delicious as it's ever been. So just something to keep in mind when using corn or rice, just like flaked oats or um, other adjuncts, except that rice and corn just gelatinize at different temperatures. Um, as for hops, there is crystal, American crystal mm. at 60 minutes. Um, crystal was one of my favorite hops or noble-ish hops as a home brewer. It's, uh, it's a little more floral and citrusy without that 
a ton of spice. Um, but then I do add saws at 10 minutes because I do think that little bit of spice in these beers, in these really light, crispy lagers, um, it's just, it's not nostalgic. It's just we're all used to that character and we all kind of want a little bit of that. Sure. It helps drive that bite, that crispiness, that dryness on the very finish. So you just kind of get a little bit of both sides, American and noble um, character. <clears throat> As for yeast, uh, soft lager 3470. It's our bread and butter here. Um, if It's super hearty, ferments really quickly. We actually ferment this beer at 65 degrees. Oh, interesting. So it's at the higher end yeah. of, if not the high end of what um, Fermentus recommends for that yeast. Still doing a de-rest and all still that. Still doing a de-rest. Still, okay. you can go through the entire fermentation. That yeast fermented warm acts extremely quickly. Uh, on the yeast, that, that was one thing that, you know, when I heard you guys won the gold medal, we talked about the yeast and it was dry yeast. Um, to me, you know, I, I think a lot of homebrewers, like liquid yeast, liquid yeast is kind of what we're all you know, raised mm -hmm. on or whatever. Uh, but then talking to a lot of commercial brewers, like dry yeast is, is, is a thing. And I, at, at the brewery, love it as well. So yeah, tell me, you guys use a lot of dry yeast or what's your take on that dry versus liquid? Um, yeah, we use a ton of dry yeast. We use both. Um, it really comes down to what we think is best for the beer. Mm -hmm. And also just we production constraints. Um, being able to keep some dry yeast bricks on hand for when our schedule changes um, is awesome. If we can, if we plan ahead, we'll absolutely buy liquid yeast of certain things, but of the bread and butter, of our Chico, of our wine um, stuffener, German lager strain, we decided, we've tried all of the things. We've tried wet yeast or liquid yeast for both those strains, and at least for what we're doing, we don't think there's a difference like we noticed. So it's just easier for us to 